You're listening to the podcast of Opportunity Christian Fellowship in Spokane Valley, Washington. Opportunity Christian Fellowship exists to develop committed followers of Christ who are attracting others to Him. This week's speaker, Lead Pastor Dan Bonney. Would you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25? There's a Bible in the seat in front of you in the bottom of that seat. If you would uh, like to borrow one, we're going to be reading the parable of the ten virgins, and it's another wedding story. Jesus seems to like weddings. Unlike some of us, Jesus liked them very much, apparently. There's a lot of things about weddings in the Bible. Matthew chapter 25. Okay, I don't hear too many pages rustling, so I think that you are there. At that time, verse 1, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with the lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Of course, back then they had the Walmarts that were open 24 hours. And... Yeah. No, they replied, Oh, I already read that. Okay, verse 10. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to be to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Now, let me just give you a little bit of uh, cultural items that are going on here in this passage so we can understand it and uh, hopefully apply some of the truths that are here to our own lives. But back in that day... Uh, the weddings were a little bit different than they are today. Uh, for one thing, there was a lar- long engagement period. The groom would go talk to the bride's father and would ask for his daughter's hand in marriage and there would be an agreement and then the groom would go back and begin to build the house. And oftentimes this house was built as an annex to the house of his parents or perhaps on the same property. And we don't know how long this would take, but the father of the, of the groom would inspect the house that his son was building. And when it was proper, when it was the right time, when the house was in the proper condition, he would give the green light. And then that signified that the wedding day was coming. And so things were prepared and the bridegroom then would go to the bride's house. And the tradition was for the bride then to leave a light on in the window so that the bridegroom might find her house in the dark so that he might not miss her and be able to indeed go and, and find her. And she would, to help out with this, send her bridesmaids, these ten virgins, out on the path. And they would, with their lamps, kind of light the way for this bridegroom who was coming then with this big procession from his house with his family. And they would go and march up to the bridegroom's or excuse me, the bride's house, and they would gather her up along with all the entourage and her family, and then they would all go back together, one big happy family, 
and go to where his house, his new house that he had built for them. And there they would have a big wedding celebration, which often would last a week long. I mean, this is a big deal, big party, big celebration. And so here we have these uh, bridesmaids who went out with their lamps and they were ready to go. They were at, on the trail and, and they were lighting the way, but something happened to the bridegroom. And we don't know. The parable doesn't tell us what happened. Perhaps some of the last details of that house that he was making weren't quite finished. And his father said, no, you got to get that roof fixed before my new daughter-in-law comes to this house. But whatever it was, this fellow arrived late. And it was midnight. And the bridesmaids had gone to sleep. And five of them had extra oil. And were able to pour that extra oil back into their lamps and, and light their lamp and, and light the way. And five of them had no extra oil. And so they went out to buy oil. And while they were gone, the bridegroom came and they were left out. So what is Jesus saying here to us? Well, first of all, the bridegroom is the life of the party. How many of you have been around people that are life of the party kinds of people? And they're fun to be around, aren't they? Uh, I had a good friend in the Dominican who was kind of the life of the party. I loved to go with him to places because it was always just hilarious. And he knew wonderful stories to tell and made everybody feel good about themselves around him. And everything kind of circulated around. It was a wonderful uh, kind of thing to be around him during this time. And, and the bridegroom in this parable is the life of the party. And this is a party that's going to go on. This is a wedding feast. And everybody wants to be part of this community experience where there's this great celebration and nobody wants to be locked out. Nobody wants to be left out. Everybody wants to be invited. Jesus is life. And as we are with Jesus, we experience life and life abundantly with the bridegroom, Jesus. Secondly, in this parable, he's talking about his second coming. And this second coming is something that is definite, that is real, that will happen someday, but we don't know when. It's kind of like death. We know that death will happen someday, but we don't know when. And in the same way, then, death or second coming, he's telling us to be prepared for it. He's saying to his church, who are here, who is here represented by the bridesmaids, it's kind of interesting in this parable that the bride isn't the center figure here. It's the bridesmaids. But both the bride and the bridesmaids are, are, are uh, both part of the same party. They're the same family. They're the same... Uh, part of this parable that represents us, the church. And he's saying, be ready, because you don't know the time. You don't know when you might die. You don't know when Jesus might come again. He will. We will. But we don't know the time. We don't know the hour. There are a lot of people that expend a lot of energy trying to figure out either when they're going to die or when Jesus is going to come again. And... uh Really, what we need to do is expend a lot of energy in making sure we're ready and maybe not so much on when that is going to happen. In fact, Jesus himself says that he didn't know when he was going to come again. The Father in heaven hadn't revealed that to him. So I don't think we need to spend that much energy trying to figure it out. What we do need to do is make sure that we are ready. So I ask us a question this morning. Are we ready? Are you ready? You don't know when you're going to die. I don't know when we're going to die. It's a certainty that someday we will, unless Jesus comes first. And just as death is certain, so the second coming of Christ is certain. He will return. 
Now, in this parable, what was the difference between the bridesmaids who were ready and those who were not? It was the oil, right? The ones who were ready had reserve oil. They had taken a little jar, a little can of oil along, and they were able to replenish their lamp. And so they all fell asleep. But when the oil ran out, the ones, five of them had extra oil. What is this oil? Well, it represents our faith. It represents this relationship we have with God. They all fell asleep. But it's that relationship with God that kept them ready for the bridegroom to come back. And they were ready to light the way. So this morning I'd like us to think about how is it that we cultivate our faith? How is it that we, what are the things that we do to make sure that that oil is always plentiful, that that light never runs out? And I suggest to you that we do this by cultivating rhythms in our lives. We cultivate a relationship with, with Christ through rhythms that we practice daily and weekly that make sure that that faith, that that light, that that oil never goes out. Now, oftentimes, I think of the Christian walk as a marathon race. I've run, I've run sprints, and I've run, not marathons, but I've run long-distance running, you know, half a mile. <laughs> no, actually, I think I've run seven, I ran seven miles once, but that was a long time ago. <clears throat> but there's a big difference in how you approach running a sprint and running a marathon. In college, I used to run sprints, believe it or not. I ran the 100-meter dash for our college, and then I ran the 400-meter relay, which is the same as 100, except you do it four times with four different people. But I ran the sprint, and I love sprints, because you didn't have to get nearly as tired as the people that ran those long races. You just gave it all you had. You ran as fast as you could for 100 meters. And in my case, you ended up going, you know, towards the end of that race. I was always in the back of the pack. But anyway, it was fun because you just ran as hard as you could. There's a whole different viewpoint in running a marathon. When you run a sprint, you run to win. For most of us, when we run a marathon or a long-distance race, what are we running for? We just run to finish. I mean, when I ran the Blooms Day a couple of years ago, I was just running to finish. Forget about trying to finish first. I was just running to finish. I said, Dan, if you finish, you've done well. And that was that. So there's a big difference between uh, running this Christian walk and looking at, it as a, looking at it like a sprint or running like a marathon. Also, in a marathon, there are certain rhythms. In a sprint, there's just one speed, and it's full bore till you get to the goal. In a marathon, you have to pace yourself. When I was running Bloomsday here in Spokane, I, I, would run, I came down to this place where you run downhill, and it was really nice. And then I got to, uh, what the, what's that hill? Doomsday. Doomsday Hill. I got to that hill. And I was at the bottom, and I go, oh, my lands, look what I have to do now. And it's about halfway or, or more than halfway through the race. And so I'm already dog-tired, you know. And so I start going up this hill, and my heart rate, I mean, I think my heart's just going to come out of my chest. And my, I'm going to start squirting blood out my ears, you know. That's kind of a pretty picture, isn't it? <laughs> but I realized, because I had run before, that if I just kind of ignored that and just kept going, when I got to the top of the hill, even though I felt like I was going to die, if I didn't stop but just kept going, things would get better because things would flatten out. And although it would take perhaps, you know, a quarter mile or so for my heart rate to come back down. Amy, you know all about this. You run long distance all the time. And you know 
that 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 will come back down. You've got to keep going. So there are rhythms. And you know, for instance, when you run along, you take that water bottle that's being handed to you because you need it. There are rhythms to running a marathon. There are rhythms to running long distance. There are rhythms to run this Christian race that we're in, this Christian marathon. Over and over again in the Bible, what is presented in the Bible as success is finishing well. And there are so many of us and we've seen many examples, and perhaps ourselves, where we, we run like crazy in this Christian walk, and all of a sudden we get to a point where we're just exhausted. And we've seen people actually die in that exhaustion in their Christian faith, haven't we? In the Bible, it talks about running this marathon of a race, of finishing well. And in order to do that, developing rhythms to life, rhythms in this faith, Rhythms that replenish that lamp so that there's always reserve, so that oil will never go out. There are daily rhythms that the Bible talks about. The rhythms of coming before God in the morning and in the evening as the Jews did, and in the noontime as they did. The rhythms of opening up the Bible and and listening to God and keeping that fresh and Understanding that the Bible is not just a textbook, but it's a love letter. And the difference between looking at the Bible as a textbook or as a newspaper and looking at the Bible as a love letter and and how we can do both. And and we can garner things from the Bible and we can hear God's voice by studying it like a textbook. But we can also certainly be fed in our souls as we read the Bible as a love letter. This week I talked to somebody who said, I read the Bible until I've read enough. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, what I do is I begin to read the passage in the morning or in the afternoon. And and when I'm reading this passage, I wait and and the Lord speaks to me through it. And then I pause and I don't go on. And I kind of begin to chew on that. And I I respond back to the God. And I allow that passage to sink and and saturate my soul. And and it becomes a wonderful kind of experience of talking back to God. And, And I said, I know what you mean. This rhythm of daily contact with God. If our light is not to go out, if our oil is to be kept full, the rhythms need to be there. But not only the daily rhythms, there is a weekly rhythm. And this weekly rhythm in the Bible is called Sabbath rest. Now, when I was a boy, I didn't like Sabbath. Why? Because for for us, Sabbath was Sunday, right? That's when we went to church. And Sunday was boring, right? You would go to church, and then you come home, and it's a beautiful day. My mom and dad would say, you can't go out and play ball because it's Sunday. And I'd go, what's up with that? And so we had a conversation about that, and actually they changed. And they allowed me to do that, which was, you know, they kind of saw the light. Their little teenage adolescent son showed them the light. So actually my parents are very wise, and they, they realized that this was not something to lose a battle over. So I played ball on Sunday. I remember we used to play marbles. And uh, mom kind of frowned on that because we used pennies. And whoever won would take all the pennies. And mom would say, well, isn't that gambling? And dad said, no, it's whoever's got the most skill gets the pennies. <laughs> so dad was my advocate. But uh, the, these weekly rhythms, Sunday, Sabbath rest needs to be rest. I'd like us to read Isaiah chapter 58, 13 through 14. I have it on the screen here behind me for you. This is Sabbath. 
Okay? If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight, a delight, and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, verse 14, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Sabbath. Sabbath is rest. Sabbath is worship. Sabbath is delight. And God has created these rhythms for us. We see them in, 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 in the world around us. We see that there's fall and there's Winter and there's spring and there's summer. We see that there's sunrises and the sunsets. We see all around us these rhythms. And we were created to live in rhythm. We were created for this rhythm to be a daily rhythm as we come before God and we are nurtured daily. But we were also created to live in this weekly rhythm where once a week, every seventh day, we rest. And rest and we worship and we delight. In God. Why is it that we would never say to somebody else, I killed somebody today, and say it with pride, or I lusted after someone, or I stole from someone, but we often proudly say, I have gone two weeks, or a month, or even three months without a day off. And somehow we are proud of it. It seems to me that if we take God seriously when He says we should not steal or murder or covet, that we should also take Him seriously when He says keep the Sabbath day holy. So why don't we practice Sabbath rest? Why is it? I I think that perhaps in our culture today, what is honored and what is valued more than about anything else is productivity. And somehow we believe that it's just not right To not be productive. But I'm telling you this morning that unless we practice these rhythms, our oil will run out. Unless we practice the rhythm of saying, I do not have to be productive today. I do not have to do absolutely anything that is productive. God is calling me today to rest and to worship and to delight. Do you know that the the Jews started their Sabbath day on Friday? And the very first thing they did was go to bed and go to sleep. Wow, that's a novel idea, that you can actually rest by going to sleep. And there's something interesting about that, because as they would go to sleep, they would say, I am going to sleep, but God is awake. I am giving up the control of my week. I am choosing this day to not be productive, to not be in control, to not do the things that God called me to when He calls me to be creative and to work hard and to be productive, which is all part of God's plan for six days. But the seventh day, He says, now you rest. And when I do that, I am saying to God, you are God and I am not. I don't have to be in control of things. I don't have to manage things. I don't have to be creative. The world is not going to fall apart. I am not that center of the universe. I am not that important. I can actually rest and worship and delight because God is on the throne and He's on the throne of my life. Now, isn't that wonderful, those words? Rest 
worship and delight. Sabbaths should be wonderful. And you realize I'm not talking about Saturday necessarily here. I'm talking about the day that you have chosen to have Sabbath rest before God. Paul and I, for us, Sundays are generally days of work and days of productivity. And so we've been trying to take Friday's evenings to Saturday afternoon as our Sabbath rest. And it's absolutely wonderful. We decide intentionally this is not going to be a time of productivity. We decide that we are going to delight. And how, what does that mean for us? Well, that means that we go out to eat on, Saturday, on Friday night. And there's no diet. Okay? Isn't that wonderful? On Friday night, there's no diet. So we order dessert. That's becoming more of a habit on other days too, isn't it? But... Well, you need to get back to setting Sabbath aside as being holy, which means dessert only on Friday. But anyway, so, uh, and then, and, and we have this wonderful time, you know, we go out and we talk and we kind of let our hair down and we just relax with each other. And then we go home and we go to bed and it's restful and we get up late on Saturday and then we spend time with each other and we, what is life giving to you? What activities are life giving what is it that when you do, you come back from and you feel refreshed? You should do that on Sabbath. Now, for me, I love sports, right? But I've discovered that watching sports is not life-giving to me. Especially this season watching the Seahawks. It's terrible. By the way, does anybody know the score? But I, I found out that after watching three hours of football, I'm just drained. It's not life-giving. For me, life-giving are walks, are being in nature, are, you know, taking a nap. Taking a nap. Kind of being warm in front of the fire and taking a nap and reading a book and snoozing. And not have to be a, a book that is, that is professional or somehow going to feed me. Just a fun book like Louis L'Amour or something like that, you know. Some good cowboy western. Delight. Rest. Worship, being able to pick up God's Word on, on a Saturday morning and just begin to read through it and not have an agenda, not think, okay, I've got to parse this verse and I've got to figure out how I'm going to apply this Sunday morning or how can I help somebody with this verse, which is kind of my tendency as a pastor, but rather just to read it and read as much as I want or as little as I want, but just to be in it. There's a whole difference. Rest, delight, and worship. We have to be doing these things, these rhythms, practicing these rhythms in order for that oil never to run out, for that light to shine, so that when the day of crisis comes, when the moment of problem comes in our life, we are prepared for it. When that bridegroom comes, we are ready because we are, our oil is plentiful and our lives are full. We don't wait until we're drowning to learn to swim. We don't wait to... Go down the black diamond ski slope to learn how to ski. That's just backwards, isn't it? And so we don't wait until there's problems and issues in our life to begin to practice these rhythms. Rather, we practice them and they become part of us and who we are and we drink deeply of them so that when the floods come and when the winds blow, our house is firm in the Lord. Amen? Amen. 
I grew up with the Gilmore family, our, the Bonnie family and the Gilmore family kind of grew up together. We're not related, but because we didn't have any related family around close by, we adopted each other. And so I called uh, Aline Aunt Aline and John Uncle John, and they're about my parents' age, and so they're about in their, a little older than my parents, so they're in the 80s now. And I received this email from Aunt Aline this week. My report from the doctor's office yesterday was not good. My cancer blood count, in parentheses, I don't know the name of it, had jumped from 17 to 200. I will go back on treatment again, but the doctor said it would not make me feel as bad as the chemo did. First, he wants me to have a CAT scan, I suppose to see where the cancer has spread to. It was amazing how calm I felt upon hearing that in the office. Then later, for a while, I just felt completely wiped out. But in the evening and through the night, the Lord has given me an incredible peace. I have never doubted that he, has in, that he is in charge of my life since I gave it to him completely back in January 1946, over 62 years ago. He has led me and is leading me and loves me. How do people live without him? I want to thank you for your prayers over this past year. Please keep praying for me as the Lord brings me to your mind. And here's a sentence that just spoke to me. I don't know what he has in store for me, but I know, and that's in capital letters, but I know he's in charge of my life, and whatever he has for me is created in love. That comes from a lamp that is full of oil. Whatever he has for me, I know, is created in love. And Aline is ready. She is ready. Are you ready? Am I ready? God has given us rhythms to practice. Rhythms to nourish our souls. Rhythms to saturate ourselves in the bridegroom who brings life and life abundantly. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Dear Lord, it seems like oftentimes in life we go through life and I've done this so many times when there's this wonderful, wonderful life that you call us to and yet we do not participate in it because we just don't see it. We don't follow you. We don't realize that there are habits and rhythms that you've asked us to follow and the reason being that you know us better than we know ourselves. And you know what is life-giving. And yet we tend to go just head first through life running as fast as we can. And we wear ourselves out. Jesus, you are calling us this morning back to some fundamentals of rhythm, of daily rhythms and weekly rhythms. Lord, I pray that your voice has been clear this morning. I pray that we have heard clearly you calling us to indeed be by the still waters and go by the green meadows and feed from you. To be still and to rest. Lord, you call us to much work. You call us to a lot of creativity. And work is good. Creativity is good. And we're going to be talking this morning about the work that you're calling us to as a church for 2009. And that's good. We want to be part of building your kingdom. 
But Lord, we will never get there if we don't also learn to rest in you for that oil to be replenished. Help us to be faithful to you. Help us to long for you. Help us to know what it is to walk with you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Blessings on you as you go this week. Uh, invite you to stay as we are going to have a town hall meeting and talk about our plans for 2009. Blessings on you. You are dismissed. You've been listening to the podcast of Opportunity Christian Fellowship. Opportunity Christian Fellowship is located at 1313 South Pines in the city of Spokane Valley, Washington. Check us out online at www.opportunitychristianfellowship.org.